0: I want to talk to you about Doug. No, you're okay. This one, real fucking up. Okay, this is not Nam, this is Bowling, there are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. Oh, you're from the neighborhood. You're right. What's your name, neighbor? Well,
1: that's not entirely true. I came to see you, but we're the paperweights? That's what I want to see now. It's just torture and murder. No platinum characters. Very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? With? Learn about Cuba.
0: Toast to toast, my friends, to our health and cheer and happiness. Otto, let the ritual begin. This is Andrew, and I couldn't finish People Under the Stairs. I got halfway through, and I just couldn't watch the rest of it. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I'm not going to say what I think about Wes Craven. Um, yeah. So enjoy the podcast. Enjoy listening to two people who actually appreciate this movie. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. Or sometimes it's movies that have dropped off the cinematic radar, and uh, I think that's kind of what we would classify the film that we're talking about today Uh, My name is Chris. I am your host for the Cult Film Companion Podcast. I have a very special guest with me, Kyle. You uh, joined us previously for the Blowout episode, so uh, we're happy to have you again. My usual co-host, Andrew, is not joining us because he does not particularly care for this movie. In fact, he watched half of it and uh, tapped out and said he didn't want any more of it. And uh, the movie in question is... From 1991, it is The People Under the Stairs from writer-director Wes Craven. Wes Craven is uh, commonly acknowledged as one of the horror masters of the uh, past several decades, probably best known for uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street and, of course, in the 90s, the Scream series. So we're taking a look at something that... um. Came after A Nightmare on Elm Street, but before Scream, he did a little movie called The People Under the Stairs. And this was uh, part of a two-picture deal he had with the production company, the first of which was the movie Shocker. The second of which is The People Under the Stairs. Now, The People Under the Stairs, I would say, is arguably the most political West Craven horror movie that he's ever made. Politics and horror are not really strangers to each other. Some directors tend to add politics to their movies more so than other directors. The People Under the Stairs is, I would say, easily uh, Wes Craven's most political movie. It deals with a character named Fool, his nickname, his real name is Poindexter, who finds out that his family's being evicted. His mother is very sick. Uh, she is mounting medical bills. And there's a clause in their contract that if they don't pay the rent, then they have to move out, I think, within two or three days of not paying. So yeah. he joins his sister's boyfriend in an attempt to um, rob a house to make some money so that they can pay their rent and they can get some medical care for his mother. And what he finds in his house is Horrifying. It leads to people dying and him trying to find this hidden fortune, this hidden treasure inside this house and also help a young girl that's trapped in the house and also free the titular people under the stairs. So that's a brief plot synopsis and uh, I'm going to open it up. Now to Kyle for some general discussion. What what are your what was what was the first time that you saw this movie?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because when I first saw this, I was I think I was so my grandmother she has like a bunch of these old VHS tapes growing up, and I remember um, you know she would always have me kept away from these movies or whatever. But you know I saw it at a young age, uh, and I thought the movie was boring and it's just because I didn't have a good understanding of it but as I got older and I got into it um yeah I come to find out it's it's definitely a hidden gem I a lot of people a lot of people who are into like Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street they don't even really like from some of my friends they don't even know anything about this movie which is surprising because it's a it's a it's a pretty fun like you just said a political movie um I think too that um as far as the politics, uh, I'm not, I'm not that much. Well, first off, I'm not that much of a, um, political guy at all. I, I kind of tend to stay away, but this movie, uh, it has, it's, it's like, it's, uh, another movie that's its own identity as far as, um, uh, it, it has its own, um, sorry, I got this phone call. In the um, it has its own, um, feel to it. So, um, well, as I was going to say um, I wanted to jump right into the character uh, Fool um, <clears throat> this kid is not a normal kid
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no
1: he's uh, as you could tell he's there's nobody like I mean from the very opening beginning you see this you know you, you're in the ghetto uh, in, the, in the movie it shows the and, it, and it's just awful because you got all these people on the stairs and in the, in the first um, few opening scenes you get a good look at how grimy this place is and it's just not a normal place for i would say anybody growing up as a kid but
0: um well well, you know i i just interject i don't i i think that it it might not be normal to someone like you or me but um unfortunately these living conditions do exist and i think it was it's a it's an interesting approach in, um, uh, something that Wes Craven mentioned in an interview or on the commentary that I, I, I talked, this, this was not an environment that he grew up in. So it's kind of interesting for him to, to tackle something like this and to make his, his protagonist is, you know, he's having his 13th birthday as this movie's opening. Um, yeah. but he's, he's kind of, but he's optimistic and almost to a fault he kind of thinks and i i think it's probably because of his age he thinks everything's going to be okay and he has dreams of being a doctor and um you know i'm sure that those are the kind of dreams that his, his mother and his sister encouraged but the uh, the sister's boyfriend Kind of uh, played by Ving Rames, and we're, we'll talk about the, the rest of the cast in a minute. Shoots down, he's like, You're not, you ain't gonna be no doctor. You can't even pay your, your mother's medical bills. Yeah, um,
1: uh, yeah, no, Leroy. So, yeah, when we first get, um, when we first get introduced to him, it's, it's a little bit random. He's just sitting there and he's like, you know, it, he, he, he literally lets you know right away that the house is. Um, I mean the apartments basically up for rent in that uh, they're gonna tear the place down and it's it's pretty terrible <laughs> You know when he says that cuz it's like for a kid to hear that it's like He's basically forced to being a grown man And and I don't think this was his not to get too far ahead, but um, you know as he's when he actually starts robbing um, or not robbing when he actually starts to um approach the, the house to get the um, the money
0: well, I mean, try to get the, these... Uh, it, it was gold, uh, I believe, right? It was the gold. It turns out to be gold. Um okay, yeah, The pieces cool. are... Um, so, the character of Leroy is played by Ving Rhames. It's not really expressively said that he's the sister's boyfriend, although that's kind of the feel that you get. Um, yeah, exactly. But anyway, he. so he had previously robbed a liquor store, and, um, he, he found the, uh, note in the trash, the,
1: um, he found the map.
0: Yeah, he the found, he, in the he found, yeah, he found a map at the liquor store, and it, it, it turned out that the, uh, the same people that owned the liquor store owned the house, and, uh, Fool's Family is the last, the last in that apartment building, legally, Uh, There's a lot of illegal, you know, homeless people. And like you said, there's, you know, just just people still hanging out in the building. But through the dialogue, we find out that they're legally the the only ones left. And so through the clause in the contract. um
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because, like, I was wondering. I'm like, so if they're the only ones there, it's like you got all these people hanging in the hallways. I was like, holy shit, like, it's like a party in there.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of like uh, it's just kind of one of those buildings where, um, you know. Yeah,
1: like a New York, um, nineteen, uh, like like taxi uh, taxi driver for example, like you know, um, at that time period, it was like always um, jam packed apartments.
0: Yeah, or it's just like a, any major city is going to have a neighbor a neighborhood or two like that, where you got a building where you know some people are paying rent other people's are just you know hanging out there some people are um just you know just, they did they move in without you know a, a rental contract or anything they have no lease but um yeah so yep. the, the the pieces are put together through the liquor store robbery and initially um Wes Craven uh in the original screenplay fool was involved in that um that liquor store robbery that was how the movie was going to open but through budgetary reasons they couldn't really do that and through storytelling reasons he kind of changed the script and i think he changed the script for the better i i think having fools first interaction with um illegal activity so to speak breaking into a place i think it works more so that it's this this house that he's trying to break into and not not being involved in the liquor store robbery but that's just my own personal opinion
1: yeah no um no, that makes sense um yeah speaking of the house i mean this this house is it's pretty crazy i mean the traps like from the stairs that turn flat to the furniture and the windows that open up, I mean, it, it, it definitely has, like, a... Um, I don't want to say a saw... and Maybe a mix of a lot of different Trap House movies, but this one's very interesting because I feel like all the people in who are under the stairs... I mean, there's a lot of people, and there's only... You, you got... Let me get into the weird characters. You got man, you got woman, and, you know, the girl who's been taken by these, like, almost... Texas Chainsaw-y type of weird, weirdo family. Um, But the, I feel like any of these people could actually break out if they really wanted to, if they were to team up, because, um, I don't know, it just seems old. I mean, they lived, one of them escaped. um,
0: His name was... Roach. 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 Yeah, Roach escaped,
1: and um, he's traveling around the walls, and... Whatnot, and, and I feel like if he escaped it I mean I'm sure he can get the rest out of there but um yeah it's, it's just interesting the way this house
0: is the, the way it was made basically um, the the whole the whole house is a trap in itself yes the whole house yeah. Once once you enter this house you're not leaving the house unless these people want you to leave and uh, before we get any more into it um just some of the technical stuff I wanted to uh, bring up. So, um, Wes Craven, as I mentioned, is the uh, writer and the director. It was produced by Stuart M. Besser and Marianne Magdalena. It was edited by James Koblenz. The music was by Don Peake, and the cinematography was done by Sandy Sissel. And uh, we'll talk about the cinematography in a minute, but she has a uh, background background and uh, documentary films. This was one of the first features that she ever shot. So, um, similarly to A Nightmare on Elm Street, I- I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. A Nightmare on Elm Street is based on a- an article that Wes Craven read about uh, a-, a young man I somewhere in in Asia, Eastern Asia, I'm not sure exactly what country who uh, was terrified of going to sleep because he thought he was he would
1: I heard de- this actually, yes that's actually very interesting because I remember seeing a um, yeah, it was a documentary on this guy um, well, I, I guess there was something else related to that too uh, where it was like a small tribe of people, uh, but I believe they were taking some type of drug and they would basically fall asleep and have these weird spurts, I guess, and they would die. But I think it was to do an
0: overdose; they
1: just yeah, kind pop- of blew it up.
0: So, yeah, but, but I bring it up because the basis for the people under the stairs is also from a news article. Uh, Rest Craven read about uh, this affluent suburban neighborhood where uh, the neighbors kind of look out for each other, and there had been some robberies in this neighborhood. And uh, one neighbor saw two African-American people breaking into a house. So they called the police, and the police showed up. Uh, By then, the two would-be burglars left. But what they found inside of this house was two young children that had never been outside in their entire lives. They had their own made-up language, and they were extremely pale. And so West Craven kind of took this idea of you have these people that are breaking into houses because they're broke and they have no money, but... On the flip side, you have these wealthy people that have robbed children, basically, of their, of their lives. And they, they're basically, you know, they, they knew nothing but the house they lived in. So that became the basis for this movie, which it's, it's, it's such a weird dynamic that this movie has because it's very, very dark material. But it's also, there's also, a lot of comedy. there's also a lot of comedy. There's a lot of humor that runs through. That's something that Wes Craven has always done in his movies. He always, even in his really dark movies, there's still humor. Um, yeah, I was actually going to add to the comedy part.
1: Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of, um, this is the reason why I love this, this movie, movie though, because it does not really, it, it does something a lot of movies that I've seen like don't really do. And then it, it it could switch from comedy to something super dark, like for example the slapstick humor that's in here, from like for uh, when um fool would slap the dog in the nose, or when they get electrocuted, all three of them, and they're all on the floor and stuff. Um, you know they, they they do a lot of um uh, slapstick uh, comedy in this. And I, I actually really uh actually really liked it. it. It and it puts you out though, cause like you, like there'll be some scenes where maybe uh, man will be in a, a, a random gimp suit, and then you're like, what the hell is shooting through walls? And he'll start talking, say some racist things about, um, you know, uh, certain things. And I, I noticed, too, uh, for some reason, this is one thing I, I just wonder. maybe just because they're nuts, but I, I noticed, like, whenever they kill somebody or, um, in the movie, they just, they, they like to dance. <laughs> it's like a sick thing for them to do. There, it, uh,
0: You know, now that you mentioned it, I re- he... Well, not even even when they or they just think that they killed someone. He does a very goofy dance at one point when he yeah. thinks he he does a very very silly dance. So let's um, so let's talk about the cast. Um, so Brandon Adams portray is our protagonist, uh, fool, um, or Poindexter, and at, for a child actor. He just gives a... I think he gives a great performance in this movie. Like, I buy... I buy this character. And I want... He's very, very likable. And he's smart. And he's just a great character. He's a great character. And so, also, the So the two main villains weren't, are never given names to... Um basically their mom and dad or their man and woman as they're credited but it turns out that they're also brother and sister uh, it's not explicitly said that there's any sort up, of yeah. incest involved um, but it's I wouldn't be surprised but <laughs> no not at all I wouldn't be surprised either but that that's never something explicitly that comes up but I think it's interesting that they're basically stripped of any identity because instead of giving them names to be referenced to, you can basically insert your own names. Because we all know, like, people, not people that do stuff like this, but we know people that are racist, people that are controlling, people that are domineering. Absolutely. So. They're stripped of any identity, name-wise. So we're just given man and woman. Um, and so Everett McGill uh, portrays uh, man or dad. Wendy Roby portrays mom. Now it's interesting. Are you familiar at all with the uh, the TV show Twin Peaks?
1: David Lynch's, like the one thing I never checked out from his work, and it's very. I, I,
0: I'm I'm actually going to. Okay. Soon, well, no. in Twin Peaks, which was very popular at this time, they portray a, a husband and wife couple, and yeah. uh, Wes Craven was initially hesitant to cast them in this movie because he didn't want it to to seem like st- stunt casting in a way, like. Oh, so they were a couple, a very popular couple on a very popular TV show. So let's immediately cast them. Uh, he talks about how he just casted the best people he thought for the performance, and uh, I I buy them. They're they're so especially mom like or woman. I, they both do but they both give an incredible performances and the other the other lead is um girl, I guess we'll call her a girl uh, who's portrayed by AJ Langer who uh, it turns out is not their biological child um, it, it's a, a child that they stole from a very young age. And, um, so you were you were talking about how these. And, and it turns out that there's probably about, what I would say, about maybe two dozen people under the stairs. I think that's a fair estimate. About that. Yeah, I would say, I would say about that. Um, so, yeah, uh, you, you, go on, go on. so you said that they could probably get out if they really wanted to. I felt, I felt personally, cause,
1: like, I mean, just seeing, by the way, it was structured, and I seen, like, I mean, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember there was, like, certain areas where they would shine the light or whatever, and, um, I don't know, I feel feel like because Roach escaped, I mean, I'm sure he could have gotten them all out, you know, he could have figured out uh, some way, maybe grab the shotgun, blow open the steel um, uh, doors for them or something, I mean, figure out some way.
0: So I, I I I could see where you're coming from, but yeah. given the background of like the news article that I talked about, where this the inspiration for this movie came from, I have a feeling that these, I think that mom and dad, man and woman were trying to build what in their mind is the perfect family and i think that they've been stealing children for years and i think that the yeah. kids the kids that don't work out the kids that don't comply the you know they had this sign that said children are better seen and not heard the the children that uh disobeyed i think that they they're the ones that end up under the stairs so i think that we have I think that we see them as like young adults under the stairs, but we're never told exactly how long that they've been down there. So for all we yeah, know, wanted, you know. They're, yeah. they're 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 malnourished. Mm. They're probably very I mean, they very weak. Human. I mean, they they look.
1: That's another thing. That, that really. The, uh, before I forget, they they look like monsters more than any type of uh, um humans. To be honest, they look look almost, yeah, monstrous. I've never seen any human look so malnourished to that extent. Creepy. Very
0: creepy. Yeah, and I think that's the, um, you know, that that was the idea, to make them creepy. But you've got to think that if these, these, given, you know, we're not told exactly at what point they ended up down there, but if the if they're given no education they have no knowledge of the outside world they have no survival skills i can kind of buy them not knowing what to do they're almost they they're That's not they're not so much people anymore as i kind of see them like as like animals like they're just like they're cattle you know they're they're kind of that makes sense. they're they're all
1: no, no. That the fact that you put it in that light, actually, now that I'm, yeah, that makes so much more sense. Now it's it's almost like they they don't
0: want to leave because they're afraid to go outside too. Yeah, because well, they don't know what to expect. It, for yeah. For all they know, that they could be, it might be hell where they are now, but it could be even worse outside. But so it's we're never given that, and that's one of the things you got like the suspension of disbelief. Um, oh, that's
1: so that, not to get off topic, but that sort of reminds me of uh, uh, the um, uh, what's that religious uh, cult family. Uh, the we- Westboro Baptist Church, I believe, there's like certain times they're not supposed to go out in their, in their family or something. I heard something to do with, uh, one of them came out, the ones that's no longer with the family, and said that um, they weren't allowed to go outside or they'll go to hell or something. Some type. It, it almost kind of reminded me of that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I could, I could see, you know, the, but it's not so much a, a cult as it is, I think, that mom and dad, man and woman are, are trying, they're trying to build what they think is the perf, like what their ideal perfect family is. um And it's, so their house, it's almost like a throwback to something from like the 50s. The way that they dress, the way that the house is decorated, it just, it's not, it doesn't look like a, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like they're from the 90s. So I, I think that they kind of have like this mindset that they're, um, that they're stuck in. So they have their daughter and you know, that she has to obey and do basically whatever they said and i kind of get the feeling that they they almost wanted to kind of have a a son um who ended up being roach who uh escaped and now is – it's funny cuz you know he's trapped in the walls you know and uh it's kind of it's kind of funny that it's almost like a looney tunes cartoon at points like the yeah, guy's that's going to yeah He's going around blasting holes in the wall with a shotgun. You know, it's yeah, exactly. so it's weird because you have horror movies and then you have movies that are very much horror comedies. Like you know, short... what it works though for, for some weird way because you wouldn't even think
1: something like that would work because it's 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 serious at times and it's also political and it's very like out of nowhere. The horror is there and. And they just, it just, he made it work <laughs> for some reason. It, I, I love
0: that about it. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, Wes Craven has proven that he's able to mix horror and humor, uh, successfully, well. yeah. but he's also done it unsuccessfully, uh, vampire in Brooklyn or from Brooklyn. The anyway, it's an Eddie Murphy movie that he directed it and, and oh. it just is, it's terrible. Good. and an earlier example of trying to mix very dark material with humor is uh the original last house on the left uh it's very dark material have you seen the original yes
1: yes i i actually uh i, I was going to bring that up i actually wrote that in my notes that that the, the that was um another sick uh just, just sick
0: people to say that. yeah it's it's a sick people but it's intercut with like slapstick cops with goofy music and it's very jarring the 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 shifts in tone that that mo- particular movie has you go yeah. from you go from rape and torture and mutilation to like goofy cops that are end up running out of gas, and they hitchhike, like, from a lady with a chicken truck. And uh, I could, so, you you get an early sense that Craven is trying to to mix some very dark material, but also trying to make it a little bit more lighthearted. And it, it, in The Last House on the Left, it doesn't work so, so well. But he does it, I think he does it very well in this movie, because the whole... The whole thinking that, like, the house next door, you have this, like, it's implied that they're not only, you know, terrible people, but they're also cannibals. Yeah, um, that's right. I wouldn't be surprised, and going back to cattle, it's almost like the people under the stairs are like, you know, that's kind of, I I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they're they're feeding off of these people, literally. Yeah
1: like Texas Chainsaw kind of that's that's the vibes i got from that too another another quick thing i wanted to mention too with uh, as far as the technical stuff sure um there there i noticed well and, uh, before i forget too there there's a few i only seen like a couple references but the one that stood out the most to me was um uh the uh, furnace it was very similar to the nightmare on elm street furnace i don't know if you caught that
0: now that you mention it, yes, um, yeah. it, it's not something that Im- immediately came to mind. But yeah, no, yeah. It, it's I was m- scoping around a little bit, and I,
1: I come to find that out. Um, I was like, holy shit, that's very very similar. Because I brought up a image to the right of the original um, furnace, and yeah, it has the three uh, lines on it with the little with the fire in it. Yeah, it's it's very very similar. Maybe not the same amount of rust on it, but yeah. Uh, similar, but um, I I noticed as far as the way this movie was shot too, uh, the scene where Fool is in the living room, and he's like, oh, I feel like we can we can probably fit like twelve families in this room or whatever. And then you got um Leroy, you know, in the other room, ser- snooping around or whatever. Uh, there's a specific shot he does where the camera goes up, um, and follows him. I I notice. That's that's like a similar, it's a similar thing to um, shot to other, Wes Craven movies like um he does that in Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, um I, I just picked up on that he has he has a very um a track record of using some of the same shots but it works really well,
0: um it's his style yeah it's his yeah. his style for doing yeah, it's shots his, like his that. Style
1: for sure. Yeah, I picked up
0: on that I just picked up on that when I watched it um, recently so the the exteriors were all shot uh, at an actual house but the the uh. it some of the interiors were were shot with an actual house most of it was sound stages they had to build these sets because I mean logistically the house doesn't look that big from the outside like when you first see it but if you think about the actual like structure and all like oh, yeah. all the massive like you have all this room between the walls for for people to uh be traveling in and out of so um you know it's it's clearly a, a, a set but it's it's shot in such a way that you know you you, you buy into it you know you could and you know it's it's a fantasy horror. It might be based in somewhat of reality, but I mean to.
1: It don't show too much. I mean, that's that's the good thing about it. You don't want to show everything because if you do, then it won't start to make sense. I mean, yeah, the way it was shot, uh, it definitely felt bigger in scope once you got inside of there.
0: Yeah, and and you know that's the whole yeah. I think that's like the aesthetic that he was going to show, and that so the house is very much a metaphor for and this gets into the the political stuff for like the the social structure and economic structure of of people we have the haves being man and woman and the have-nots being in the basement under the stairs yeah and the haves it turns out are hoarding huge amounts of money and they, but from the look of the house, like, it's a nice house, but given the amount of money that these people have, they could be living in a freaking mansion, you know?
1: Yeah, oh, my God. Especially towards the end, when you see, like, the amount of money that
0: was just laying there. It's just, was oh, just like, holy crap. Like, they must have been stealing money forever. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of like, they, they're, they're just hoarding wealth just for the sake of having it. They're not, they're not even yeah, yeah. using it. Yeah, exactly. They just, just, it's, it's like they get off on it or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's like they have this insatiable appetite for money, and not, not that they're gonna necessarily use it. It's just that they yeah. want it, and they don't want other people to have it. Such a- Yeah! Oh, yeah! Um, Another another thing I wanted to mention
1: that um I really liked about this movie, but which a lot of people don't mention, whoever I've seen who who have seen this movie, I I feel like there was one character that I really loved, even just for the small amount
0: of time we get to see him, uh, uh, Grandpa Booker. I think he's great. Yeah, he was really great. I love his monologue when he's just he really gives
1: the insight on um man and dad and like you were just saying earlier about how they're both siblings and um you know i think he did a really good job with uh delivering those lines i felt like whoa like um you know i I felt i felt like the like how authentic he was in that scene um i really really uh like that that part probably one of my favorite parts of the
0: movie uh, his brother and sister yeah that's you know that's just uh, uh that's Totally taboo. But I I have to say that across the board, all the performances are really, really good. Um, We mentioned uh, Brandon Scott, who's the lead of the movie. He basically has to carry this movie as like a 13-year-old kid, and he did a phenomenal job. Uh, The actor and actresses playing mom and dad give great performances. Uh, Ving Rhames... This this was a couple of years before he had his breakout performance in Pulp Fiction. But he's he he's great in this movie, you know, for the uh, the small portion that he's in all around. And um, for not having any words because he has his poor tongue cut off, uh, Roach, uh, Sean Whalen and um, I, he's just able to convey so much just to like he's got a very unique face to begin with like yeah for sure <laughs> you know he doesn't look like anybody i can think of no it, it, he's not he's not going to be uh, gracing the cover of gq anytime soon but he's he's able to express so much just through um you know, you know who we- of him he has like a, a very look to him I do know who you're talking about yeah he was yeah. all the 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 actor you're referring to I also know from children of the corn he was in that movie oh, but um how about that? so but back to roach he's uh he's escaped and it's not it's not you know we're, we're not giving much of a backstory it's not but I kind of get the feeling that they're trying to create what they think is their ideal family. And I think that, um, that they Roach was going to be the son, but he disobeyed and he spoke back and he tried to escape and they cut his tongue out. And, uh, it's a pretty, we're not shown the the tongue getting cut off, but we're shown the aftermath of it. And, um, yeah, just, like, he's got this, like, he's got, like, a wit, like, it wouldn't be the look I would have if I was missing my tongue. Like, he's almost, like, yeah. he's almost, maybe he's been missing his tongue so long that he's able to look out back on it and laugh. But, like, he, he kind of looks. He seems so positive about everything. You know? Yeah, he's. he's... Things are just exciting to him. Like, even, even when uh, when he's, get, he's
1: about to get blasted by a shotgun, he's just like, ha ha, you can't touch me, <laughs> you know? Like, I thought that scene alone was hilarious when, uh, he pulls in, um, uh,
0: what's, what's his face, um... Dead. Or man. Oh, no, 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 when uh, he pulls uh, Fool into the wall. Yeah. Yeah, through the wall. Yeah. And
1: as he's about to get blasted, he, he just puts on this smile, like, like everything's alright, so he's just messing with him. And little does he know, he, he was, like like, almost moments away from getting blown away.
0: <laughs> I Yeah, I think he really... Yeah, he he kind of doesn't mind. He kind of likes it. Uh, the whole... Um, uh, dad trying to hunt him down thing. I think, like, it's... I guess it's basically, like, if he's been trapped in this house for so long, that's probably his idea of fun at this point, which is kind of sad, but, you know... Um, yeah, I, I can see what you mean. It's,
1: it's almost become, like, his way of living to the point where, yeah, like you said, it's like... He doesn't give a. He doesn't really think about death. He's just living and um, surviving. But like a cat and mouse game, like Tom and Jerry.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I, I've heard is they said for directors that you don't want to work with kids or animals. And Wes Craven, you know, decided to go against that yeah, because. He Um, we, we've got a 13 year old lead and then even more so than mom and dad, their dog Prince is, um, he's, he's one of the main antagonists too, chasing. Yeah. I was just going to say, can
1: we give a round of applause for Prince
0: the dog? Yeah. So, um, as, as is typical with movies featuring animals, it, it was played by more than one dog. Um, it was also a dog puppet, um, used for the, the death of Prince, when Prince is, uh, is, is oh, yeah, killed. Killed through, with the, uh, it was a knife, right? Or, what did he stab him with? It was, yeah. It was one of those, it, they used to have them back in, uh, in the military. It's like a knife attached to they the, ed, yeah, yeah, exactly, you're right. Um... Yeah. Yeah, so you have your your gun for...
1: That was the hardest scene for me to watch, actually, in throughout the whole movie. Because, like, in movies, this sounds kind of sick, but for some reason, I don't get that offended when it comes to someone else, a human being dying. But when it comes to pets, man, it just really really hurts me. Because I don't know what it is about
0: the animals, but the animals is the one thing... I hate the most. No, it, I, a lot of people have that sentiment. But yeah. then again, you know, the, no dogs were harmed during the filming of this movie. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> I mean, you can you kind of just... You can kind of get over... Oh, yeah, yeah, just no, a doubt. just kind of get over it. But, um... So, there's also... Uh, we talked about, like, the... um The economic influences in this movie. But there's also um racial uh prejudice going on and um yeah particularly there's a there's an interaction with mom and the cops and she kind of says it's it's almost like we're prisoners of um prisoners in our own house it's almost like we're the it's almost like we're the criminals we're the prisoners and uh it it, it it gets to the point where at the very end of the movie she almost drops the uh, the n word, except. Yeah, I remember that. <clears throat>
1: she she it, that's when she just yeah that's when she was about to get um that's when she gets screwed anyway she uh what's her what's her name the girl you know she jumps to the floor and then
0: um no she jumped exactly. out of the ceiling.
1: Ceiling ceiling ceiling
0: that's what it was the ceiling. Yeah, she jumps to the ceiling. Um, yeah, Mary. That that was um,
1: <laughs> I I really thought she was gonna say it, but um, yeah, that's that's crazy. That that was another scene.
0: Automatically, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, and we um, so, yeah. So I, it's, and this gets said very often about movies. Well, it's more relevant now than it was when it was made, and unfortunately, that's not what really happens. It's just that things take a while to change so you're gonna have the same sort of you know racial undertones and prejudices you know played out for, for decades before there's some some real change but it's speaking you know what I wanted to call this woman while watch rewatching this movie she's Karen you know, they have that yeah. whole Karen meme now that, like, Karen is a thing. Yeah, she's a- like the godfather of the godwoman. <laughs> she's a very... She's like a very evil Karen. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's 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 not funny. Uh, But, yeah, this movie came out in 1991. And here it is, you know, 30 years later. And we're talking about it. And, you know, the movie is tackling issues that are still relevant today. Yeah,
1: um it's it's so crazy that um that he put, he made it into a political um because, you know, that's the thing, it it like we said earlier, um, not to go back in circles, but yeah, it it, it, it does a really good job with um uh, dealing with um yeah, dealing dealing with uh, political stuff and, and then horror and then comedy and then just like the the outburst and the slapstick. I mean, it's it's got like a little of everything. It's it's it's
0: it's, it's really good. So I uh, something that I wanted to mention that I think is very very interesting and I think maybe some other filmmakers should take a note from. We're talking about Wes Craven who created Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street and created one of the most popular horror franchises of of of, the, of all time. He had absolutely no intention whatsoever of making a sequel to this movie, which I'm sure that upset some studio executives who who are always looking for a sequel or an opportunity to franchise. Oh, yeah. But he talked about, um, you know, someone asked him, did you have any hesitation about killing Roach when Roach dies in the movie? And he said, no, I didn't have any hesitation because I didn't, you know, I said everything I wanted to say in this one movie. I never intended it to have a sequel or to become a franchise. Uh, I, I think maybe it came from his previous movie right before this was Shocker, which I think he, I think that he intended to become a franchise. I think that he wanted it to be a franchise the way that A, a Nightmare on Elm Street became a franchise. Uh, That didn't happen. But regardless, he he just, he had no aspirations of doing anything more with this movie than what he put on screen here for an hour and a half. So, I think that if you go into a movie with that kind of mindset, there there are no rules and anybody can die. And, you know, it, it makes it a little bit more exciting because I think, and I'm just going to speak on, from... Knowing that there's, um, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly because I haven't yeah. seen it, but Halloween Kills came out this week or last week, yep. but knowing that there's already an end to this new trilogy, it kind of takes away some of the excitement Um, because, well, if there's already a third part, then I kind of know Michael Myers is going to make make it through. You know, well, but Yeah, I mean, not just that, but I think it's
1: it, like, like like uh Nick Castle said himself, as long as the box office, <laughs> as long as the box office does good, it'll
0: be Halloween never ends. You know. <laughs> right, exactly. So I just think that it's that it's interesting, but it's also not a shock to me that there there has been talks of a People Under the Stairs remake. The stairs. Yeah, Remakes, so. Yeah. And I, I'm gonna be honest.
1: Don't do too good with sequels, you know, because you know it depends on the director. You know, sometimes we'll get some some good ones. Like The Hills of Eyes was, I thought, was a pretty good, um, was a pretty good remake from uh, Wes Craven's. Um, but yeah, as as far as as far as sequels goes and new movies, I'm always I'm always uh, in some way open to seeing something different and creative, but as far as, like, movies like Halloween or this movie, you know, People under the Stairs, I feel like these are the types of movies that are kind of like, like, it. they stand, like, for Halloween, it was in its own time, you know, we didn't really have any slashers at that time um, that was, you know, up, at least from what I can remember at that time, I don't think there was really any slashers icons like that. Um, and for People under the Stairs, there's just, like, um there's no really movie out there that's that's that's
0: like it it's its own, its own thing there's there's also not really one like horror villain icon that you could kind of come from this movie considering that mom and dad are both killed um' we we get like one i would say it's like he's like the main person under the stairs. Um he interacts a bit with, with Fool. Um Yeah. He's got the long nails. Yeah, he's got the long nails. He comes he actually comes up through the stairs to help kill Mom at the end of the movie. Yeah. So there's not really anything to to franchise at this point. And so this movie's mo- like they started to understand though, like the people under the stairs. Because like I, I always
1: thought in the movie they were, you know, they were completely just, they didn't even know, they were like babies, but, like, it's like, it, it was interesting how they just caught the revenge, um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad it turned out that way, though. Oh, yeah,
0: no, the, the the movie, it does deal with very dark material, but we're also given a very kind of happy Hollywood ending. Oh, man, I love the ending. Let's, let's talk about the last
1: act, yeah, like, as far as the, everyone getting paid outside, I mean, it really... It really made up for it, because, you know, Fool, at the end of the day, you know, he's such a good... I mean, if you don't like Fool, then I don't know what to say, because, like, any, anybody, I am say in general, like, he has such good characteristics. Like, you know, he's gr- he's like a, a grown man in a kid's body, and the fact that he, he wanted to help his mom out, you know, he was already... The mom was sick, and he was already trying to inspire her to, like, hey, I'm going to get you that new Cadillac, you know? And, um, you know, it just showed he had a good heart in the movie, and
0: and although seeing all the money in the corner he's definitely it kind of show that he's definitely he's got a big heart. Yeah. So yeah. the end of the movie is he he discovers with the help of Roach he finds this hidden um room that's just basically filled with money and it's filled with gold and um he'd already gotten some of it to help, you know, pay the rent and pay for his mom. He probably pocketed some But then he has what I think is just one of these ingenious little plots. Like, I I couldn't have come up with this as a 13-year-old. In order to distract Dad, who is is down there hunting for him, he takes those gold coins and inserts them into um, candles. Uh, And then as the candles melt, the coins drop, so you hear it sounds, you know, and he has them inserted in various places. Throughout the length of the candlestick, it sounds like
1: somebody's actually, you know, playing with
0: the money. Exactly, and that—that's what Dad says. He sounds like, "Oh, you're counting that money already, aren't you?" But it's <laughs> yeah. such an ingenious little, like, pl- it's like it's not, you know, it's not a huge plot point. But I just uh, like that's an ingenious little bit of writing there. That's like so creative, you know. Yeah. That's um. I look that, and then, yeah. So fool, of course. In this movie, because it's it, it kind of turns into a cartoon. Of course, there is also a big box of dynamite in this <laughs> in this <laughs> vault. <laughs> this yeah. So he like blows up part of the house. Money shoots out of the chimney. Yeah. By then, all the people that have been um, evicted from their all the um, all the community that had been evicted from their properties by by yeah. these people who are the the landlords. Um, get the money the people under the stairs wander off to gu- I think that's the only thing that you could kind of explore in a sequel is like what what sort of aftermath like these but I think it would be a very sad movie I don't think it would be a horror movie I think it would be more of a drama like these poor people having to like accumulate into society and like, like what do we do like we've been trapped in this house our entire lives or for years we don't know anything that's going on anymore i think that's the only kind of thing that you could do with a sequel yeah you know that's what i was gonna say too like
1: like with, with a sequel it would be interesting to explore more of like how the people under the stairs would function into society and stuff and you know who knows maybe, maybe one of them might
0: turn into man and woman exactly it, I I think that, would be that could be interesting. Um, another thing that could be interesting would be a prequel, where we see um, how these people ended up under the stairs. That's another interesting. Yeah, that's, hey, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's something I was thinking too. Like,
1: w- what's the backstory to like? Did they cap? How did they capture them? Like, did they like? You know what I mean? Like, did they track people down? Were they that mad enough to like look for like?
0: the dumbest people or something or, I don't think they we were looking people. for the dumbest people I like I said my theory is that they they took these Well I'll just putting that out there like, like sure. in general like yeah like um I I think they took very young children that didn't know uh because Mary the the, the their daughter she thought that they were her biological parents So um, so I I think that they were taking kids at a very young age, and I think that leads to. I, no, that makes that makes hundred percent. Yeah, that makes. I, that makes so like the so the the material is very very dark, but there's a there's also plenty of levity, and um there's some lighter moments, and it's it's a very positive movie, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, like yeah. you said, when you first saw it. Uh, you were bored by it. I can remember the first time I saw this, all the political stuff, like, went right over my head. Like, I didn't get oh, it. Yeah, same. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just that, too. I mean, not just the political
1: stuff, but um. Yeah, as a kid, you know, um. well, I grew up with horror at very, very young, because, uh, you know, I used to go through those VHS tapes when I was, like, seven, and no one really knew about it. I just popped it in my my room, you know, Tales from the Crypt or whatever, and I was, like, a little, like, six or seven years old looking at these movies, and, like, at that age, like, all
0: I cared about was the monster, you know, attacking the people. Exactly, yeah, you know, that's, and so I think that's kind of where we end up now as we wrap this this show up. How this yeah. develops such a cult following is, I think it's the kind of movie that unite you need to see at the right age or maybe at the right time. It's not a full blown fun slash like a Nightmare in Elm Street. It does it's or the Scream series, which uh, Wes Craven had a enormous success with afterwards. This movie and so, like I said, it's um I think it's a movie that definitely had a was a blip on the cinematic radar because the budget was six million. And this movie ended up grossing at the box office thirty one point four million. So it was very successful at the box office. Critically, I mean, critically, horror movies generally don't do get, yeah. do that well with critics. But this movie, it was kind of middle ground. It wasn't ripped. It wasn't like torn to shreds. Uh, some critics picked up on the interesting social commentary, the satire. Um, it was actually pretty well received, but. Like you said, it's one of those movies now. It doesn't really get talked about so much. Yeah. A nightmare. You know, a lot of
1: it has to do with not just like I just had this conversation with Andrew. long ago, Like how people like when they put their butts in a movie theater, it almost feels like they're they're waiting. They're 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 renting out a, a chair for like a few hours. It it doesn't feel like it's a, an exciting um, thing anymore. So. I, and as far as social media goes, I mean, it's kind of being... Long movies are being killed off, in my opinion, like, uh, eventually, I, I think. Because, like, we're you, we're so used to now seeing things happen so fast in a, such a short clip that, like, people are, are getting less interested in, in a, a strong narrative from what I've seen. Um, but that's just the way times are changing, you know? It, it's getting more and more interesting. I, I, I do hope, though... You know, for the best, people
0: still continue to make uh, classic movies or gems like this. Yeah, so, but, yeah, what I was trying to get at is that, though, when people, you know, people still talk about Wes Craven, and they still talk about his movies, and hell, there's a, a new Scream movie coming out, obviously he didn't direct it because he's passed away, but I think this is kind of one of those, uh, like you said, it's a hidden gem in his uh, his filmography, it's yeah. not my favorite movie that he's ever done, and it's certainly not the worst movie he's ever done, but its I would say it's up there in my top five favorite Wes Craven movies just because oh, for sure. it's one of those movies, and we're going to discuss this in a future episode about uh, Halloween 3, um, it kind of um, it gets either overlooked or as a kid... When I first saw Halloween 3, I didn't like it because it didn't have Michael Myers. That's something we'll talk about in the Halloween 3 episode. But The People Under the Stairs, the first time I saw it, I didn't I didn't really, really like it because a lot of it went over my head and it wasn't the bloody... It, it's not a very bloody, gory movie. I mean, there are... There's certainly... I mean,
1: not just that, but there isn't any, like... Like, for example, there isn't, like, a strong... Really that, like... With something that's like, like something there that's just like, whoa! Like, what, what's gonna happen next? With what, what is this person gonna do? Like, uh, uh, like Wes Craven. I mean, he's known to have like, like these big figures like, Scream and, you know, Freddy Krueger.
0: Right. And so. In this, yeah. The the roles are much more defined in a Nightmare on Elm Street or in a Scream movie. You have Ghostface or you have Freddy Krueger and you have a group of teens. This movie is, so I can see why, because this movie is very different. and It's a very different horror movie because, first of all, and I think this is actually something that I enjoyed as a refreshing change of pace watching this movie, there's no, like, forced-in love interest or love story that is, like, kind of happens. You don't have, like, horny teenagers, and you don't have fool. And Mary are too young to have any sort of relationship, so it's kind of refreshing in that sense that you don't have these kind of... Yeah,
1: you don't got like a, a, a sex thing going on in
0: the movie. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, a lot of Friday the 13th movies and a lot of the, the later Halloween movies and Nightmare on Elm Street, you got the horny they teenagers are... and if you have sex, you die. You don't have that in this movie, which I think is a very refreshing change of pace, but you also don't have like you don't have a Freddy Krueger. You don't have a Jason Voorhees. You have mom and dad who are very, very creepy. Especially when dad puts on that gimp suit. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: that's another thing that I was gonna mention about the the gimp. Like, I I wish I I could have asked you know Wes, what what the hell was the you know like uh, I mean it was he kind of becomes his own um crazy statistic character when he puts that on. Like it almost does become like that that force of um of a character like what's he he's just shooting through walls man you know in a maniac way uh it's it's certain it's certainly different than any other thing i've seen
0: like no i don't i don't think anyone is expecting that guy to put on a gimp suit (laughs) no but also you you don't really have a lot of horror movies where the main villain is walking around with a gun either you you get a lot of um you know you never see Freddie or Jason or Michael Myers walking around with a gun or even Chucky like they always have knives or machetes or Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, something iconic. So I I think that's why that like I said it was a blip on the cinematic radar when it came out, uh, but it doesn't get talked about enough. And I think I think part of it, and this is one of the I guess blessings that comes. From a remake, even if the remake is bad, it brings attention back to the original. In many cases, you could say, "All right, they remade this movie, but I remember the original being better." So I'll go back and watch the the original, and you know, it's a mixed What's
1: bag. Quality too. Well, not not to go too far back, but I was going to say too. A lot of people, um, so like when we were just talking about like the villains, like Freddy and Michael Myers, uh, people. West Craven, from a technical standpoint, I think that's uh, they get confused sometimes because um, when you see the the way his movies look, you know they kind of do have a similar look. Um, yeah, I think people do get confused when they see people on the stairs. They're they're expecting something like a a major character because um, because the, they're you know can't really fool the eye as far as um, the way the way his movies look
0: um no he definitely has yeah. he's got his own style um yeah i think people i think that's another reason why people were um
1: uh expecting a uh um another uh l- like another slasher type of thing
0: but i had to respect the man for 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 wanting to do his own thing and not wanting to do you know exactly. that so yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. so as we uh kind of wrap this up now um I, I think this movie deserves a lot more love than it gets. I think that um, if you listen to this and for whatever reason you haven't watched the movie, I don't never recommend listening to this podcast if you actually haven't seen the movie already. Because you know we we, we talk everything about the movie, but um, if you if you haven't watched it recently, it holds up. It holds up really well, and uh, the social commentary holds up. the The effects hold up the story holds up so it's kind of um, I, I like what you said it's a, a it's a it's a hidden gem to some people it's not a hidden gem because they they still love this movie but that's why it's got a cult following you know um, they respect the movie for what it is and how different it is from your typical horror movie so um any fun i got to say it's all, yeah. It a, yeah it's it does a good job it does
1: a good job being fun and it does a good job um, yeah, there's some serious moments here and there, but, um, it, it, it's, it becomes memorable once you, once you watch, especially from the, uh, the second half to the third half. I mean, it, it, it does some, sometimes the pacing may feel slow sometimes, I mean, for me a little bit, but overall, I, I, I definitely left wanting to see it again. That,
0: that's, it's a, it's, it's a very rewatchable movie just because the performances are so good. The characters are memorable. Um, yeah, the pacing, I thought the pacing, I thought it was paced pretty well. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't overstay its welcome. I, I, I think maybe...
1: You know, actually, yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it definitely, um, it has a good pace, for sure. I, I just thought it got more interesting from the second and third act
0: as it went on, but... But I think, you know, you know that's the sign of a good movie, though, if you're invested. If the, it gets, your hooks in on the first act, and then the second act really starts... You're like, okay, and then you're like, all right, I want to see how this wraps up. So, Kyle, do you have any final thoughts on The People Under the Stairs?
1: I oh, loved it. Uh, I definitely recommend this movie to anybody. Um, yeah, just uh, grab some popcorn and uh, check out People Under the Stairs.
0: Yeah, it's like part Looney Tunes cartoon at times, part serious political social commentary, some dark material, but great performances uh overall a very interesting and enjoyable little horror flick and if uh it does get remade good way and um they expand upon the the premise that's always the sign of a good remake is if you kind of take the material and make it your own and i think that you know there, there's a lot here i don't necessarily think that it needs to be remade because i think the movie holds up just as well as it does but that's my own personal opinion anyway
1: uh, you know i know um yeah, but uh, another thing I wanted to add too, like uh, as far as everything else going, great cinematography, great writing, good acting. Um, if you see any other Wes Craven movies, uh, definitely uh, you'll you'll find you'll feel right at home. Especially when you watch this, you'll be like, okay, this
0: is I can get into this. Yeah, there's there it's a very the premise when you think about it is actually very very dark, very disturbing, but it's handled it's handled in a serious way, but it's also not taking itself too seriously where it can have some fun with it which i think is is great and i think that we're we're gonna wrap up our look our deep dive into the people under the stairs for kyle my name is chris thank you for joining us once again this the cult film companion podcast the home of movies that are off under and ahead of the cinematic radar we hope to talk to you again real soon bye